Welcome to the 33rd edition of the Chili On Your Boot podcast and we're sticking with the journalism theme today as Matt Clinch joins the show. Matt is a radio presenter and sports journalist for ABC Grandstand where he's worked in both the Melbourne and Adelaide studios and worked alongside some of the biggest names in the AFL media such as Jared Waitley. He's got a plethora of knowledge about the game and we hope you enjoy it as much as Benny and I did. Matt, welcome to the Chili On Your Boot podcast. Thanks for coming on. Riley, Ben, great to chat to you both. Certainly is. Um, we'd like to get a bit of background about our guests. So tell us a bit about yourself in your younger days. Were you a keen sportsman that aspired to play professionally? Yeah, I was an obsessed sportsman growing up. So I was one of three boys and uh, the backyard competitions were as fierce as any games you played. So uh, two younger brothers and I saw my job as the eldest to beat them up as much <laughs> as possible and hold them to account. So... Uh, growing up, I had dreams of playing AFL football. I was a mad Collingwood supporter. Um, my dad's family had season tickets, so we used to go and sit at Vic Park. And uh, then in our street, Scott Burns moved in with a, a series of Collingwood players. So that was sort of the, the absolute cream on top for me to have uh, a Collingwood player and some of his teammates were living with him in his early days. So, uh, yeah, I had dreams of playing AFL football for Collingwood. Um, my mum embarrassingly went over at one stage and asked Scott if he had any old skins because that was sort of the... <laughs> Or look back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, which only the best of the best had. And um, he said, no, he only had one pair from the club. And uh, unfortunately, he couldn't give that to me. But uh, he was great. Chatted to him a few times and, and played uh, sort of under 18 level at Oakley Chargers, but just wasn't quite fit enough and probably wasn't big enough to get that opportunity to go to the next level. And for me, once that became clear, well, it was sort of the realisation, well, the ultimate dream was to try and play footy. The next best thing would be to try and work in that industry. So... Uh, I sort of was always relatively keen on the media side of things. So uh, once I sort of got to 17 or 18, I realised that the dream of playing footy was over, but the next best thing might be to work in that industry. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you've answered our next question, but where did you find that passion? Was it um, uni or...? Yeah, it was really early, Ben. So I played in a uh, grade six team that made the state representatives. We got to the final, I think, four teams in the state. And so the captain was uh, rotated each week. And as part of the job, the captain had to get up and do a, a match report in front of the, the school assembly. So my turn came around and I did it. And I, I really enjoyed doing it. I sat down with my dad and he said, you know, put in a couple of jokes and try and find the humour in the storytelling. And so I did it once and the, the principal said, wow, that was pretty good. We might have to get you to be captain a second time. So that sort of lit the fire for me. Uh, we had a family friend who knew Steve Quartermain, who was, of course, reading the Channel 10 Sport back in the day. So I remember I went out to his place and sat down and he gave me a couple of notes. And from there, it kind of just lit the fuse that wouldn't that be great where you get to watch these sporting events and talk about them. And probably my interest back then was television. So I was really keen to try and find a way to get into TV and tried to keep in touch with him. And then, yeah, went on to study at university and sort of knew in year 12 that I wasn't probably the most academic of students, but had a real passion for sport. And once I worked out that that was what would drive me, then I was sort of off on my way. So um, as a lot of people will tell you in this industry, uh, I had a family connection who worked in community radio. So I went and did some work in community radio, which I just roped in three or four of my best mates. And we'd go into this uh, little studio in Box Hill in the southeastern suburbs of, of Melbourne. And often when we couldn't get anyone on, we'd just read the Herald Sun and talk absolute rubbish. But it gave you a sort of bread and butter that, well, it's not the worst thing to do. And... Um, once you sort of work out the dynamics as to how to make it interesting, we had, I think, one or two people would ring in regularly, but it was the platform to 
to work out that that was really what you wanted to do and went off and studied at university and then just had to try and find a way to get a foot in the door. Yeah, you definitely need those fun things early on in your career to get going. And you spent five years at the ABC's Melbourne office being mentored by Jared Waitley, one of the best in the business. What were your early years in your home city like as a sports journalist? Yeah, I was really fortunate to have a family friend that got me in contact with Jared. So I was in my mid-20s and I sort of started doing some media work. Um, I played footy with my old school, De La Salle, and I wrote the match reports for them and uh, did some other media work for sort of them to get my foot in the door. And um, My mum passed away when I was in my mid-20s and one of the things I did was I did the eulogy for her funeral and I had an uncle who said, oh, I wasn't 100% sure if the media was going to work out for you, but after doing that, it sort of inspired him to get in touch with Jared and said, look, this young kid's got a real passion for media. Would you be interested in catching up with him for a coffee? Um, and it came at a vital stage of my life because I was at the crossroads and I was dealing with grief and I wasn't 100% yeah. sure I was going to make it. So to get that, that sort of affirmation to Jared will be really keen to sit down with you after, I think it was the 2006 Commonwealth Games. Uh, and so we had a, a coffee and he just said, look, you know, if you're keen and interested, I can't guarantee you'll get paid. But if you've got the passion and the motivation, you live at home, that's good. So you're not going to be expecting to make a salary out of it straight away. And I'm happy to show you the ropes and whatever happens, happens. It'll sort of be determined on how driven you are to make it happen. So he was fantastic to, to meet him at the early stages. He just moved over from Channel 10 to the ABC, um, had such an incredible work ethic. So that was the thing that struck me about him first and foremost is that he's still the most dedicated person I've met to his craft. He, he works so hard at it and he's got a, a determination to, to put everything into it. Um, so to be aligned with him, but it wasn't just him as well. The office in the ABC in that time was Drew Morford and Dan Lonigan. Uh, sport in that era was, was really blossoming. So it was a great department to work with. And probably the one or two things that I took out of that was that there's a lot of people who do it a different way and you have to find your way to do it. So uh, Jared was fantastic. He would encourage me to glow along and do phantom calls. And so we managed to get in contact with um, Tim Lane's brother, Bill Lane, who worked at Eddie Had Stadium back in the day. And he was very generous in, on the odd occasion, there was a spare box. He would let myself and I got onto Kelly Underwood. So her and I would go and sit in a, a spare box, which was next to where the police used to watch the games that Eddie had. And we'd commentate from the forward pocket and record into a tape. And uh, Jared was sitting in a, an old studio um, editing room like where we are at the moment at the ABC and sometimes I wouldn't get more than 30 or 40 seconds in and he hit the space bar and stop it and go right oh we haven't told me who's got the ball where the ball is what the score is all the vital things for radio so until you work on those things uh, go away for another couple of weeks and come back to me and make sure you're ticking off those things before you you get me to have another listen so that really motivated me and gave me the platform to work out what are the the main characteristics to be a radio caller and what do you need to do to, to make it work in this industry. So having that sort of founding was incredibly beneficial because a lot of people are generous with the time with their time, but you need someone who's going to give you the right instructions to make sure you've got the platform to move to that next level. Do you still, do you still keep in touch with Jared? Yeah, we do. We do. We've got a fantastic relationship. So he was my mentor. Um, I started the ABC on a sort of internship. And so I produced his program, which was on a, a Sunday afternoon, uh, back when the AFL would finish at sort of four o'clock on a Sunday. It was called The Final Word. It was him and Stan Ells, and they basically wrap up the weekend. And the program was ahead of its time. And my job was pretty basic. I'd just come up with a rundown and basically find any audio that we had to put in throughout the program. Uh, I moved to Adelaide in 2011. He was one of the key pillars that encouraged me to, 
um, make that leap. You've worked hard to get your opportunity in Melbourne, but there's no full-time gigs here. So if you want to work in the industry, go to Adelaide and take on a full-time job. And when I moved back to Melbourne in 2015, he was one of the main pillars that uh, went in and fought hard for me, that I was ready to come back to Melbourne uh, to be a commentator in my own right and take up one of the, the three full-time positions in this state. So uh, we still keep in touch in regular um, occurrences when we can. Uh, he admits by his own, um, I guess, right, that he works very hard, so he doesn't have a lot of friends in the industry, and a lot of his friends are the people he works closely with. So um, our best catch-ups are normally around cricket when we're both covering that. So uh, he'll head up SEN's test coverage and I'll EP ABC, ABC's coverage. So we'll often uh, catch up before or after a test series. But, um, yeah, it's like you pick up where you left off. Um, we often have great rapport about our families and our partners, and so... Uh, he's always been a great mentor, not only from a media capacity, but also just to sit down and talk about life, his three kids, and how he tries to get the juggle as best he can. Yeah. You mentioned you spent some time in Adelaide. Did you instantly jump at that opportunity? Yeah, it was one of those funny things that when the opportunity came around, it was such a natural next step that I didn't really think about the ramifications too much. Full-time job is coming up in Adelaide. Uh, Roger Wills, who was the main caller over there in Adelaide, had sort of moved to the the latter end of his career and was thinking about retiring and there were so few jobs that came up that when it came up, it was just like, right, I have to apply for this and I have to make sure I get it. So I got the job in 2011, moved to Adelaide in December and I remember getting there and um, finding a place to live with some, some housemates and just thinking, wow, you know, I'd worked it all out from a work capacity but now I'm here and I've got no friends and it really did struck me that it, it was sort of all based around work and, and that driven, um, I guess, to try and find that opportunity. So uh, getting to Adelaide was great. It was um, it became so committed to the work capacity that the guy I worked with, Peter Walsh, and our producer over there, Andrew Williamson, were fantastic in making sure I was comfortable in Adelaide and I had some friends and just trying to get a bit of balance away from work because in the early stages, you just work seven days a week because you throw yourself into it, whereas eventually you, you find golf and you find joining a gym and other passions that help break up your time. But it was also such a fantastic time to be in Adelaide. Like I called two or three seasons at Footy Park and, it was old and it had a yeah. certain um, aura about it, but um, it needed some love. And then being part of that transition to move to, uh, to the Adelaide Oval. And uh, I arrived after sort of some of the cricket fraternity had sort of been pretty upset about the Adelaide Oval being transformed from a cricket venue. But having come from Melbourne, you just never quite got that, you know, a ground in the middle of the city. People would just love having footy and cricket in such close proximity. So to see the transformation of that Oval was a, it was a fantastic time to be in Adelaide and to work with some of those guys like Peter Walsh and I worked with Rod Jamison, who was a Crows Premiership player, Stephen Williams, who was the brother, of course, of Mark Williams and the son of Foss Williams, the, the famous Port Adelaide champion. So uh, there were some great people to work with and I, I learned a hell of a lot in my time there, not just calling AFL, but the chance to call other sports as well. So we did A-League and basketball and cricket and um, cycling and you name it, you were given the chance to call it, which was sort of the main appeal about joining somewhere like the ABC is that chance to do other sports other than just AFL and learn so much about the broadcasting craft. Yeah. Do you play sport yourself either while you're in Adelaide or back in Melbourne? During I while you Yeah. Yeah, I played a little bit in Melbourne before I moved to Adelaide. So my last game of footy was a premiership with my old side, De La Salle, and I played in a Club 18 side and I only was able to train uh, once a week. But it sort of worked and... I remember missing the uh, the prelim final because I was calling a game for ABC TV back when they had the VFL. So it's sort of become pretty clear that you had to prioritise one or the other. 
And uh, my cousin was the captain of that day last side, and there was one change for the grand final side. And to this day, I don't know how he managed to squeeze me back in, but we often joke on Christmas Day is that it's one of our great memories of playing in a premiership together. So once I did that, I realised that I had to prioritise uh, your work because you can't juggle the two when you're wanting to play sport on the weekend and most sporting work is on the weekend as well. So uh, I played tennis, um, basketball, I found other sports you could play during the week, but uh, I made a commitment to myself that once I played in that premiership that I was going to prioritise work on a weekend and find other avenues to, to get that outlet with sport during the week. Yeah. What does a normal day entail for you when the AFL season's up and running? Is it mainly radio or is writing articles a big part of your job as well? Yeah, so mainly radio for us. Our working week is Thursday to Monday. So our days off are Tuesday, Wednesday. And the majority of our week, as we touched on, sort of revolves around the weekend. So uh, Thursday's a pure preparation day. Um, so researching, um, watching back games, doing stats. We do all, all our own stats. Um, so basically trying to get yourself as ready for the weekend on the Thursday as you can. Uh, Friday we do local radio crosses preview in the weekend. So you'll do up to sort of five to six previews for the weekend. So that might be AFL, NRL, basically whatever sport's coming up on that weekend, all the issues around uh, the various codes. So, um, yeah, you might do ABC Melbourne, you might do ABC Adelaide, um, Ballarat, some of the smaller stations as well. Uh, and sometimes you might do a News 24 TV cross as well in the studio. So it's sort of dependent on what they want. And that's sort of the appeal of the ABC is that we have a, a sports department where we're accessible um, whenever a story breaks. So, for example, once the news came through on the weekend, uh, during the week that AFL was on the return, uh, our phones sort of blow up and you're, you're pretty consistently doing crosses for the next couple of hours. But that's good because you're, you're basically involved in the story and you feel like you're across it because you're, you know, regularly keeping those listeners up to date with what's going on. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, you're going out and calling the game. So my main um, uh, call time slots are the Saturday afternoon call. And it was previously the Sunday early game, so the one o'clock game, whereas now uh, our broadcast rights have just changed. So now we're just doing the one game on Sunday. So I do the, the main game on the Sunday. Uh, and then Monday, it's largely the same. So you're reviewing the, week, the weekend, doing a lot of crosses with those radio stations again to chat about some of the main results, some of the main stories from the weekend, and uh, that sort of makes up our week. So in between that, you're trying to come up with other projects, uh, looking ahead to the bye weeks and trying to come up with some feature projects. And uh, yeah, radio is a great platform because really the possibilities are endless. You can um, look back in time like we are at the moment with no footy on. So we're doing um, some vintage grandstand calls where we're looking back at the previous ABC call. So uh, today, as it stands, we're doing the 1990 grand final and some of the great stories that came out with Collingwood winning their first premiership in 32 years, but it's not the same as going to the footy and calling. I, I have to admit that, that it doesn't quite give you the same thrill as we're very fortunate to have um, some of the best seats in the house. So to sit there and call those moments, uh, it's hard to describe the thrill in which it gives you. Yeah. Do you have a favourite sport in general and is it the same as the, your favourite sport to commentate? Uh, I probably grew up loving AFL and that probably still gives me the greatest passion like going into the MCG and taking that seat which we've got on the, the members wing on level three you are sort of pinch yourself at how fortunate you are to, to do that job um, but the appeal of the ABC is we get to cover test match cricket we get to cover one day world cups so um, those sort of events I think it makes you a better broadcaster as well by getting that experience um, Jordan and I bonded through our love of horse racing so he would call the races and I'd go and get the interviews with Drew Morford after the races. And so 
uh, the thing that I loved about horse racing was the stories that associated with the sport, like a sport which has had links with uh, mafia, underworld, corruption, you name it, but yet some of the best stories you're going to get to tell are associated with horse racing because everyone dreams of being involved with a, a runner on Melbourne Cup Day and, and that sort of still sits with me today that I love the going along to the track and you never really know which way the stories are going to go, but you know you're going to get some great yarns out of it and the people associated with the sport, you don't have to put in requests with media managers or um, spend weeks trying to organise these interviews. You slop alongside the winner of the Melbourne Cup and jockey, trainer, owner. Most of them are pretty happy to tell their story and sometimes it's six, seven, eight or nine times over, but um, it's just that euphoria around being victorious on that day and it's a great industry to work in. So footy's always been my first love and I still get that, that real enjoyment when the season rolls around and the reminder of why I love what we do, what we do. but um, the other sports as well. I certainly love basketball, so getting to call that. Uh, I've got to call some games for uh, the ABC for TV when Australia was in action, so that gave me a real thrill. Melbourne Cup Day, and you can't quite replicate the feeling of um, the Boxing Day test when you wander into the MCG and the anticipation for what might come next and so much rests on the toss and how those first couple of overs come out. You run a program on the ABC called Clinchy's Corner. Can you run us through what it's like to chat with some of the biggest names in the AFL? Uh, it's great. It really came about through this coronavirus period where we're trying to come up with concepts and ideas as to how we try and maximise uh, our listeners and, and find ways to communicate with them when there's no live sport. Uh, so the idea to sit down and, and have a feature chat for an hour was an idea which really stemmed from doing the, the cricket executive producing. So part of my gig was that with that was to host the lunch breaks um, and it sort of took me back to a day where the BBC would do long format feature interviews and chat around the game with some of the people who were crucial to it. And chatting to some of the people who grew up in that era, they often um, love those lunch break interviews more than the cricket itself. So some of the days might be long and the highlights would be few and far between, but people would remember the, the stories that would come out of the lunch break. And when I was just a young kid starting at the ABC, I would sit with um, Kerry O'Keefe and have lunch with him and uh, I just loved his ability to tell a story and have a joke about it. And um, from that, the idea sort of came about to sit down and chat to those people, a bit like how we are today, about what their motivation was to get into the industry. And for people like Harry, how did you end up in the media post your playing career? And uh, I get the chance to work with Mark McClure every Saturday. So we drive into the MCG or Docklands and often we chat for half an hour, 45 minutes driving in. And the stories are, are great and they're related to Carlton's dominance in the 1979, 80, 81, 82 period and the personalities, the characters are involved in that period. So I just love that storytelling part of radio. And so I had a real passion for sitting there with those guys and not just telling the stories about why clubs won premierships, but the people and the, I guess the, the key intrinsic reason as to what made that club or that period a successful time in their history. No, it's fantastic and they're great to listen to. Have you, have you seen the way that the AFL have handled the coronavirus crisis yeah it's been interesting hasn't it they, they've sort of taken a backward step really to the nrl the nrl have been really vocal led by peter volandis in deciding a date having a vision and, and really going for it with the apollo project and it must be said they were probably more the pioneers todd greenberg came and left during that period so the afl sat back and had a few more challenges probably than the nrl largely because of the states in which the game's being played in so the immediate challenge for the AFL was trying to get South Australia and Western Australia on board in terms of the quarantine restrictions. And 
Uh, that's had its challenges, largely because the fly-in, fly-out model just wouldn't work because the premiers in those states and the chief health organiser wasn't happy to go on board with that, that agreement that the players would be exempt from quarantine. So it's been a really interesting time to cover the game. Um, I think it's a, a time in which we probably won't see anything like it in our lifetime. And um, there's been moments where players have been at fault. They haven't quite um, abided by what the, the sport and the governing body would have hoped the way in which they behave. But nobody's perfect. So I think that's added to the narrative as well. And it'll be interesting to see what the game looks like when it returns. We called one round where there were no crowds and it, it just didn't quite feel the same. It reminds you of the, the role in which the fans play in covering the game and uh, without them, it does bring a different experience and it's certainly not the same experience that we're used to. So I think for the rest of the season, if we don't see any fans at, at AFL games, which is largely what we expect, that it will be remembered in a, a different forum and a different, I guess, experience largely because there will be an element of the game that will be missing. Do you think they've picked the right time to come back with June the 11th? I think so. I mean, there's a few different elements to that. There's the financial, economic side of it, the fact that the game needs to return. Otherwise, they're just continuing to lose so much money. And uh, like the NRL, AFL has become such a big business that competition can't survive without games for too long. So, sure, there's a, a certain risk element involved in that by bringing the game back and what will happen if a, a player or a club um, have multiple coronavirus um, uh, players who test positive? Well, the game will probably come to a halt for a certain amount of period. But at least by taking some time to stop the games and come up with a plan, you feel like they're as organised as they possibly can be. There'll be an element of who knows and, and maybe the game might have to stop for five or six weeks. And I think everyone would admit that this season there'll be an, an unusual um, circumstances to when the grand final might be, where it'll be. Um, but I think that'll be a once-in-a-lifetime sort of generational thing. I, I don't think this is a, a circumstance in which we could have possibly expected and the people that are running the game could possibly have planned for. So I think we have to cut them some slack in that regard and I guess embrace what, whatever this year looks like. Do you think it is a season where the Premier will have an asterisk next to it, as has been mentioned lately? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think the team that wins the Premiership will have an asterisk next to their name. I think the season as a whole will have an asterisk next to its name. As long as the games are balanced and each team gets to play each other once or we feel like we play enough games that the competition is justified, then I don't think the team that wins that Premiership will be a, a tainted Premiership, so to speak. As it stands at the moment, each team comes in with a level playing field. Each team's played one game. Sure, there's been certain restrictions that have been different in each state, but... Um, we were chatting to Phil Davis the other week on ABC Grandstand, former Giants captain. He said, look, if one team's going to win the premiership because they had an extra week training or extra two weeks training, well, that's a bit of an indictment on the club that you weren't able to, to maximise your opportunity once the group was back training. So I don't think the team that wins the premiership will be tainted, but I think the year will have its own challenges about the way in which it's, it's remembered. Yeah. And you've alluded to the NRL, which is obviously pretty desperate to get their season underway. Cricket Victoria made some major cuts to staff last week. Which sports do you see the coronavirus having a big, the biggest impact on? Yeah, I think any international sport is going to have a massive challenge. So sports like tennis and cricket are probably the two that come first to mind. Formula One, obviously, because you travel the world. Um, so they're big teams, big industry, big sports. So what that looks like post-coronavirus period, I guess everyone's trying to guess at the moment. Um, I think the AFL will will be scaled back in the size of the organisation, different to the Premier League, which 
Uh, the AFL runs so much of its model through head office, so everything from grassroots footy to broadcasting with AFL media, it's become so big, so I don't think they'll have the capacity to do that post-coronavirus period. I mean, sports like cricket, you just wonder as to how that's going to work. We're meant to have a World Cup here in Australia, a T20 World Cup in October, November. As it stands, you know, the middle of May, it feels impossible to have teams travelling to Australia at the moment. So will that World Cup be postponed? Uh, the Olympics, which has been postponed on next year. I mean, you hope at this stage of the year that um, you'll be able to travel by this stage next year, but just the unknown about what international sport will look like. So I think that's that's the sporting code, um, sporting organisations that will be hit the biggest by this coronavirus period. But it's also interesting to see how they'll come out of it because most sporting organisations will come out of it. It's just what it will look like. Just going back to the AFL, what have you made of the WA Premier's Mark McGowan's comments? It's been interesting, isn't it, in the way in which WA has handled this coronavirus period. I mean, part of you has to admire and respect the way each Premier has handled it and the way in which they're trying to protect their people in their certain states. But you want to see sport return. I think everyone feels that way. So you're looking for a bit of a buy-in from all the Premiers to, to want to work towards getting sport back on the fields. And as we spoke about, having a flexibility that maybe it's not the same way it's traditionally been, but how can we get it back so at least fans have some way of enjoying it? And if we're trying to encourage people to stay in their houses, well, maybe you know sport provides a platform where people can gather together in smaller groups and, and enjoy that. That being said, I mean, the first week of the AFL, there was a certain feeling that with players celebrating and hugging and sharing water bottles, it did feel like it was a sort of uh, direct opposition to what we were trying to encourage people to do. So there was a certain element that it just didn't sit comfortable that sport was continuing, even though in society we were trying to encourage people not to behave in that way. So, I mean, to some extent, you have to admire what the, the Western Australian Premier has done, but the other part of you would like to see him to try and work with the AFL the governing organisations to try and find a way for sport to return. Definitely. Well, that's all we've got for you, Matt. We really appreciate your time and we look forward to listening to you on ABC Grandstand in the future. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, Ben. Uh, good luck with the podcast and keep chipping away. It's where we all started. So hopefully most people are pretty accommodating to you. Thank you. Thank you very Cheers. much. That wraps us up for another episode of the Chill in Your Boot podcast. We'd just like to say a massive thanks to Steve Merchant for helping us get Matt on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for some more content. <laughs>